Well, thank you for the beautiful song. What a job well done. And it fit our theme perfectly today. It was all about worship, and I thank you for that. Now, you're all waiting here for one big question, right? I know, they're going to pounce on me any second now. Uh, there are three options I've been giving you. Uh, one of them, let me get my pen out, is to read through the entire book of Daniel. So far, 44 people have raised their hand, and I'm going to ask for people who have done it in the last week to raise their hand. But I do know this, there's 44 here, and there's 50 already going to Branson. Just a thought, okay? All right, so if you've read Daniel in the last week, I'd like to see your hand, but get them up high enough this time so I can count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Upstairs. Uh, seven, did I get? Oh, you're raising your hand too? Did you? I'll count you in a heartbeat. I don't mind. Seven, that's 51. We're one ahead. Is that right? Or do you have 51? Yeah. You have 51. Okay, guys, we got to work on this. We need 75 is the goal, all right? And we're getting there. Okay, now maybe you took the second option and said, I want to give one title or one word for every chapter of the book of Daniel. One word to represent each chapter. Anyone have that for us this morning? Charlotte does. I like that. There's a theme going in that one. You caught it, didn't you? Yeah. That's a 12-point outline right there. Uneaten. Chapter 6 was that? I think that's right around chapter 6 or 7. 6. 6. I'll save that one for my title there. All right, another, anybody else? Don't want to leave you out. No? Okay, we got nine of us now, so I encourage you to try that. Okay, you ready? Bible verse memorization. I asked just five verses from the book of Daniel. If you can memorize those and share them with us, we'd love that. If you're scared to death, type them out, write them, give them to me, and say you did it without cheating, and I'm good with that. So, who's ready? They're all ready. Okay. Do you want to look at me or do you want to look at them? Oh, they're going to stand up. Oh, good. Let's come stand right here. You guys want to stand right here? So on Sunday night, since we haven't had a Patrick meeting, Jeff and I decided we'd learn verses, but we'd have the kids in queue to say the verses with us, right? So some of them were here for all of them. Some of them were here for the first one and not the second one. Some of us like the games more than the memorization. But overall, I think we have six verses that we memorized, okay? Woo.
big chunk on there. Yes, I did. All right. Anybody else, too? I don't want to leave anybody out here. Anybody up there? All right. Well, there you got a challenge before you. Next week, let's see what you can do. Huh? So we're, we're learning verses. We're reading a book. We're uh, putting titles to the chapters. And all of those things are very valuable for us. They are meant just to get us in the book during the week and not just talk about it on Sunday mornings because what we're learning here is not something just for your head knowledge. It's something to incorporate into our lives, uh, to be uncompromising, to have a resolution to follow and obey God regardless of the consequences of living in a pagan world. That is not just Daniel's problem. That is ours too. We're called to this very same thing. And so we're learning it. And so the three words I gave you to sum it all up is trust God regardless. And we're going to look again into that today. So thank you for all of you who have participated today. I appreciate that. And I know it was good for you. It's good for all of us. Heavenly Father, we bow before you today again as we are about to open up a word of God, your word, to learn about you, to learn about the history of what you've done into the lives of other people. There are some that we read of that uh, we learn much from because they become to us excellent examples of those who lived in an uncompromising life. And we read of those who were not so, uh, determined, who uh, faltered, who failed, who did not show a life that would be uncompromising in a world like ours or a world like theirs. And all of these are set as an example before us today. And we have choices to make even now, choices of how we will serve you. And maybe our past has not been the thing that we would like to have set up as an example to others about what uncompromising means or what trusting God means. But today is a day when we can start it fresh, we can start walking forward, we can walk into that kind of path you have for us to serve you with all our heart. And I pray, Lord, that our time together will be that, that examines our hearts 
as we stand before you, what we are determined to do and determined to be. We know, Lord, that we can do nothing apart from Jesus Christ. We have no strength and no power, but through him we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So may we not hear the words today and pass them on like they belong to somebody else. May we examine them deep within. May we look upon ourselves and see where we need to uh, either be encouraged or to be strengthened or to be corrected. Whatever your plans to do today, Lord, we submit to it today because your word is powerful, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And what I like, Lord, especially is it always accomplishes what it sets out to do. And today, we're going to be recipients of that. Thank you, Lord. Do your work in our midst, I pray. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Trust God regardless. A teenage boy standing in front of the most powerful king on the whole planet at the time, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has already, in his kingdom and in his, uh, uh, the history of the Babylonian Empire, overcame the world power of the Assyrians, overcame the biggest threat to the south, the Egyptians. There was no competition with him any longer. He had a very secure kingdom. And as he sits there, he can easily say to anybody who comes within his range, that if he does not like what they say, they do not do what he says, he will remove their life. We see that so clearly in chapter 2. It just happened so quickly, didn't it? That uh, he had this dream. And, and how trivial does that sound? How many of you had a dream? No, don't do that. Um, if we dream a lot, some of us do, you wake up and say, wow, was that a weird one? And so I wonder what Nebuchadnezzar thought when he woke up and thought, ooh, what was that? He was curious, but his curiosity wasn't based on just uh, his own desire. The Lord implanted something in him to be curious. It was not only for his good, but it was for our good too, that this would be recorded in scripture. This is what God intended to do. I just can't imagine as I'm walking through this passage, what you're looking at and what we get excited about is all the end times things that are in this passage and how it's outlined for us. And all the charts, if you even Google the chart of Nebuchadnezzar's statue, wow, do you find a page full, and a page full, and a page full, and a page full of artistic renderings of what that looked like, and explanations. And you know, that's been going on a long time in churches to explain this dream. All one dream from a king who is as pagan as can be, living in Babylon in 600 BC. And we're still talking about him. And yet, in the midst of his throne room stands a boy about 16 years of age, who has resolved in his heart to follow the Lord and to obey him and not compromise on the things that he knew of as right. And here he stands before a king to give an answer. An answer that could cost his life in a moment's notice. As we're walking through our passage here, uh, the dialogue that we've been following, we know that Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. We know that uh, uh, none of the others, the wise men of Babylon, could answer to it. And so the king ordered for their execution. 
The executioner had already gone out to start to take care of his business. And Daniel, when he heard of this, being one in training, said, well, give us a, give us a little time here, and I'm going to go talk to the Lord about it. And he and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's their Babylonian names, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they all met together and they prayed. And never, never minimize the value of prayer, especially in small groups. You know, just about every single revival that's ever broken out in the history of the church has started with a prayer group of about two or three people. One of them was inside of a haystack because it was raining. Now you're going to be curious. I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story, but there's been incredible things happen just because people pray. And here Daniel and his friends pray, and that night the Lord blessed him by giving him the answer. And we picked that up, and that was even quoted for us here this morning. In verse number 20 through 23, Daniel's praise. Daniel's praise to the God who has not only uh, given him the answer, but this is the God who controls everything. I love the description of him. He changes the times. He changes the seasons. He causes kings to rise, and he causes kings to fall. Let's not forget that. In our day and age, that's very good to know, isn't it? Our God's in charge. Our world doesn't want to confess to that, by the way. But our God's in charge. He gives wisdom to wise men, understanding to men of understanding, knowledge to them. He reveals things. Uh, he knows what's in the darkness. Light dwells with him. Just giving him thanks is a beautiful thing to do. And it says that in verse 23. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. So Daniel, after learning of that message, went directly to the, the executioner and said, If you take me to the king, don't destroy the wise men, but take me to the king, and I will tell him what he wants to know. And they walk into the courtroom, and... The, the man named Arioch, the executioner, the man who serves the king, said, I found a man. You saw that in verse number 25. We talked about this last week. I found a man among the exiles, among the captives. I mean, here's a teenage boy. He's a captive. He's a student in your school. But nevertheless, he knows the answer. And the first words out of his mouth, Daniel says, I could not give you the answer. <laughs> I just love that. I just love that because I could picture Nebuchadnezzar's face turning red. Like, what? I just sentenced everybody to death because of that statement. And here you say, well, I don't have the answer. But verse 28 is where we left off, and this is where we go back. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me, for any wisdom residing in me, more than any other living man, 
but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king, and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. Now, we're not even talking yet about the dream. We've been building up for this for some time, and we're not going to talk about it. But we just covered seven pages of my outline. Is that incredible? Now we start the sermon. You ready? Let's notice what Daniel focused on here in verse number 28. Verse number 28. I like this especially because when I, when I dig through these passages, uh, I, love, I love the prophecy section. I'm looking so much forward to spending a lot of time walking through that with you. But the context around it fascinates me. And many times we'd read through that rather quickly because we want to get to the good stuff, right? We want to get to the big stuff, the important stuff. And yet what we see in the words of Daniel, think of the courage to say this in front of this king. There is a God in heaven. What might that suggest? Nebuchadnezzar didn't believe it? Nebuchadnezzar was maybe kind of full of himself, thinking, well, I'm kind of, I think I'm the God around here now. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had very little influence, we might guess, as to who this God is and what he's about. He certainly didn't learn it from the Jews. Because the Jews had been sent to this planet, planet as God's selected people. He put them there for a reason. He chose Abraham out of the bunch. He says, I'm putting you and your people here to proclaim who I am in the world around you. That's why you're so different. That's why you dress different. That's why you eat different. That's why you worship different. Everything about you is different so that people would say, who is that God? And when they're obedient... And when God is blessing and when God is doing work on their behalf, the world is in awe. Talk about Jericho for a minute. When they had seen what God had done to all the other kings of the Amorites coming that way, they said, oh boy, are we in trouble. They locked their door. They had the biggest fortress around. But they were afraid. That's the kind of impression that Christians ought to set, but that's especially what the Jews were supposed to set. Back in their day, they were supposed to do that. So Nebuchadnezzar comes to Judah, and he finds a wicked king on the throne who cared nothing about God. Matter of fact, if God gave him a message, which he did, he'd cut it up with the knife and throw it into the fire. Jehoiakim. Wicked man. And then his brother gets on the throne. Later, his name's Zedekiah, and he's wicked too. And his son gets on the throne, Jehoiachin, and he's wicked too. That's the whole influence he got from Judah, God's people. And so where is Daniel uh, coming from when he talks to this king and says, there is a God in Israel? I mean, there is a God in heaven. He's talking about the fact that there is a God, regardless of. The fact that this world doesn't follow him, doesn't believe in him, doesn't do what he calls them to do. There is a God. Very similarly, I would say, in our day and age, they don't want us talking about God either. I don't know if you've noticed that. They'd rather keep him out of the schools, keep him out of the politics, keep him out of this, keep him out of that. Let's not talk about him. And that's not uncommon, honestly. That's the nature of our world. 
The men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Why don't they want the light to shine? Because it will expose their deeds as evil. That's in John, by the way, and that is very true. We live in a day and age where it's not so much they don't want to talk about God, but they'd rather you don't talk about God. Let's not even bring him up. Because mankind is accountable to God. They can hide it all they want, but the truth still remains. Everyone will stand before him someday. Everyone will. Now, as believers, we have an advantage, don't we? We stand before him out of, out of his love for us knowing that we belong there with him. Oh, what a glorious day that will be. Paul says, I'm not afraid of the judgment at all. It's a good day. It's a day to glorify our Savior. But there will be a day when the unrighteous will stand before him too. That's a horrifying day. We read about that in Scripture as well. But the fact is, they can try all they want to hide sin, cover up sin, Act like God doesn't exist and they could sin all they want. That's the world you live in, folks. It's the world I live in, too. So what does Daniel do as he starts to talk to this king? He talks first about the character of God. I love it. He goes into a description of what God does. Yes, there is a God in heaven. And notice, he gives three very quick descriptions of what this God does. What kind of God is this? Well, let's say that um, you're living in the day and age that Nebuchadnezzar is there. You see the spiritual condition of the people around you. You see how they, they don't acknowledge God whatsoever. You're not surprised, maybe, because that's the nature of that world. That's the nature of our world. But here's Daniel, following God, standing before a powerful king, that has either no knowledge of God or no desire to serve him. One or the other, but it doesn't change a thing. It doesn't change a thing. God exists. God exists. That is the phrase we cross first. God exists. That's the Aramaic word there. God, there is a God in heaven. Is is a great word. That's not was. As if he was and he's gone now. Or he's been overcome. Somebody else is in his place. God is. You'll find that true all the way in scripture, by the way. God is. God is. God is. God is. God is. Today he is too. That doesn't change. He exists. He exists. And if he exists, then what he said is true. And what he has done is real. And what he expects a man is consistent because he is God. That doesn't change. By the way, we are not. Just so you know. I love putting that in perspective. Nebuchadnezzar can, in his anger, in his desire to have people submit to him, threaten the lives of these men on the earth, he could threaten to put them to death all he wants, but here's the reality. God is a giver of life. God has set the boundaries on life. He knows the day you were born. He knows the day you will die. Man cannot change that. It's impossible because God's in charge of life. 
And this is what God, the giver of life, is, is referenced as. He, he, he is the one who gives life and death. That's not Nebuchadnezzar's department. And as Daniel starts to speak to him, Nebuchadnezzar has a lesson to learn, not in this chapter, but also in the chapters to follow, that God does exist. He's got to come to that place and understand and acknowledge that himself. So that's fact number one. As he's talking about the character of God, he exists. He exists. Don't live like he's gone on Monday or Tuesdays. Whatever day of the week. I always bring up Mondays, don't I? I'm always hard on Mondays. Maybe it's Thursdays that are really the hard ones. God exists. The very fact that we're here today is because God exists. Do you know that you live and move and have your being because he exists? The very fact that we are, are present right now is because he exists. When you start to study the character of God, put that near the top. He is. God is in heaven. Fact number two, he reveals mysteries. In this case, we know how important that is. Because Nebuchadnezzar wasn't going to tell the dream. Not the details of the dream. Not any part of the dream. And they had to come up with that themselves. They had to understand that. What a perfect test to see if they're telling you the truth. If they can't tell you what the dream is, they certainly can't tell you what it means. But how do you find out what he is thinking? How do you know what is in his mind? Well, let's talk to the one who knows. I love that attribute about our God. We call it uh, all-knowing. All-knowing. What does God have yet to learn? Nothing. He is all-knowing. Omniscient is the word we use. There's a group years ago who used to go around saying that God doesn't know the future. They were trying to incorporate that into regular churches like yours and ours. Uh, they wanted to set it up to make you think that God didn't know the future. He couldn't know the future. He's just as surprised in the news tomorrow as you will be. I said, what kind of God do you have? Literally, I sat across the table from a guy. He talked to me about that for two hours, about telling me that God didn't know the future. God didn't know the future. I just had to pull up a couple of verses. I went to Isaiah, and I said, why is Isaiah talking about Cyrus? Cyrus? Oh, yeah, Cyrus, the Persian king who's coming about 200 years later, and he names him by name. He says, oh, I'll have to go study that passage. Good idea. Because God knows. You can find another prophecy about Josiah and about the distance of time between that. Oh, speak of Christ. Did God know about him? Page after page after page of prophetic utterances from our God that were fulfilled perfectly. You know what that means? God knows. Stop for a minute and think about that. God knows. Where are you today in your life and what are you challenged with? God knows. God knows. Even when we go into prayer in Matthew, Jesus said this, your father knows what you need before you ask it. Isn't that great? So some people say, well, then I don't need to pray. No, 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 no. That's not the right answer. 
That means I'm going to a God who understands. <laughs> That's why I pray. He already knows. That makes me feel so much better. Because if he knows, he knows what to do, too. He knows the outcome, too, doesn't he? So when I go before him and pray, I'm not asking him to learn of my problem. I'm asking him to teach me to trust. God knows. That's where it should go every time. Here it says he reveals. He reveals mysteries and how desperately Daniel needed it that night. And that's what Daniel brings up. He reveals the profound and the hidden things. He tells us what we need to know. We don't know, but he does. This God in heaven, this God that we serve, this God that we know is the God of revelation. I'm not talking about the little book in the back of your New Testament, although I am. He did write that too. But that's a small sample of the whole. This whole book is God's revelation. It's God's communication with man. He spoke to us. Do you know how unworthy we are that he should do such a thing? That he should care enough to have his word recorded for us to read? To tell us that he loves us? To tell us that he created this world? To tell us what he expects of us? To tell us that he sent his son? To tell us the changes he's making in our life? To tell us what he's got in store for us? He's told us all that, hasn't he? Did he have to? That's a question for a theologian. The fact is, he did. He did this. Look what's in your hands right now, folks. That book, or maybe you've got it on an iPad now, or something of that nature. That is God's spoken word written down for you to see. He took the time to have that done. And it took thousands of years to have it all compiled the way it needed to be. But God superintended all that. God looked at that. We had a world here, back in the 1700s especially, where they believed that God just took this world, wound it all up as a creator, set it down to run, and left it. That was called the deist. They believed that God was not involved in this world. He's not active in this world. He really didn't care about this world. He had other things to do, and he left us to fend for ourselves. I don't want a God like that. And I don't have a God like that. Because it says here that he reveals, and he's not silent. He's active in our world, and he's not silent. Every speck of creation speaks of his character. This morning I was enjoying in Psalm 8. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And he goes and describes how creation is screaming out his name. All the time. Psalm 8 is beautiful. But the reality is his attributes, his powers, his ability to provide, his kindness, his patience. He continually lets us live and move and have our being. And specifically, he's revealed to us the fact that he seeks a relationship with us. How precious is that? He loves us. And he displayed it by sending his son to die for us. That is an awesome display of God's revelation. He's revealing who he is and what he thinks. When the author of Hebrews started to write, these are the first couple of words he said in his whole book. 
God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. He is a radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. That's our Savior. So what might this world throw at you today or tomorrow that's greater than he? Isn't it, aren't you glad you have a God who knows? He knows. He's revealed. What you have just heard is simply this. God exists and he communicates with his creation. He didn't have to tell Daniel the dream. But he did. And it changed the course of, of our churches even yet today. We still talk about it. He spoke to Adam. He spoke to Enoch. He spoke to Noah. He spoke to Abraham. And I could keep the list going for quite a while, can't I? He spoke to the fathers. He spoke to the prophets. And still the world doesn't want to hear it. God sent his son. Appropriately, he's called the word, the logos of God. Why do we declare him? Why do we speak out about him? What is the gospel all about anyway? Romans chapter 1, it says this in verse 14, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Our world needs that message. Who's heard it before? We have. God doesn't reveal to you so you could just write it in a diary and leave it there. He didn't reveal this to Daniel so Daniel could pack it up in a little book and save it for generations to come. He revealed it so it could be passed on to a person who needed to hear it. Nebuchadnezzar needed to hear that message. He didn't know what it was about, but he knew that something said, I've got to know the answer. God said, I've got the answer. I want to tell him. I want to reveal myself to him. And wait till you get to the dream. It's a display of the power of our God. It's an amazing thing. You see, the things that are true need to be said. Need to be said. Sin puts a cover on the truth of God. They think they could squash it down and, and snuff it out and keep it from being heard. But God, in Revelation, the word reveal means to lift the cover off of it. <laughs> and he does. He reveals the truth because he reveals himself. In the case of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar did not know what that dream was about. It's real simple. Some even think that he might not have even remembered what the dream was. He was hoping they could tell him that too. I don't know if that was the case. But he did not know God, who he was, or that it was even God who gave him the dream in the first place. He's about to find out. What if 
Daniel was afraid to speak about it? What if Daniel was afraid to talk about God? What if Daniel kept it to himself? What if Daniel had not lived consistently with his God? I had a lot of what-ifs the other day, working my thoughts through this. It's interesting to me, though, and maybe you can bear this out, but uh, those who do not truly live for God really don't want to talk about him either. Isn't sin a, a handicap? Isn't it, isn't it a, a handcuff? Isn't it a, a mouth, uh, something to block your mouth so you can't speak? Sin will paralyze you every single time. Make you ashamed to talk about righteous things. You'll feel so unworthy, won't you? I can't talk about that. I'm not living up to it. I'm not living up to it. Why are we talking about being uncompromising? Because it's more than just your stand before the world. It's your stand before your God. It's your stand before him that you will serve him and obey him. And that will give you opportunity to speak too. Speak too. That's where Daniel was. He could speak freely about his God because he knew him. There was no barriers between them. Just mark this thing. Mark this thing. God is a God who exists, and God is a God who reveals. But we have a third one here, and we'll get it done just in a minute. God is the one who gives answers. More than just reveals, God gives answers. It says here, and he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what would take place in the latter days. It would have been very strange for God to have given the dream and withheld the answer. That would have been odd. We still would be wondering about that. But the reality is he wanted Nebuchadnezzar to know it. It's just that Nebuchadnezzar went to the wrong source. <laughs> His initial idea was, hey, let's bring in all thy cabinet members. Let's bring in all the wise men. Let's bring in all those folks who do witchcraft and astrology and weird methods of secret arts and all those other avenues they use to give the answers. But they had no answer. None. God had the answer. God knew. He was willing to give it Dan to Daniel so that it can be said to Nebuchadnezzar. He used a captive teenager. Don't you love the way God works? How often does this happen in Scripture? He goes to the one that somebody says, oh, that person's nothing. God says, no, he's something. Watch. <laughs> I'm going to speak through him. I'm going to change your lives because of this young man or this young lady. He can do that. And God is going to set before Nebuchadnezzar an object lesson he will never forget. Simple truth here. God has the answers. Folks, don't ever walk away thinking he doesn't know that he doesn't know the answer. He has the answer. It's not a matter of him even researching it. He has the answer. He has the answer. Someday when we stand before him in glory, we're going to acknowledge it. We're going to stand there and say, yes, you did it all right. You did everything exactly right because you are right. You are God. We're going to worship a God who, who is all-wise and all-knowing and all loving, and all those aspects, we know that. But he is a God who gives answers. Wisdom apart from God really has no value at all. Read the book of Proverbs and you'll see that. There's a lot of wisdom in this world that means nothing, folks. It has no value whatsoever. 
So when Peter's writing to his people who are living in such a day that they were losing their jobs, they were losing their homes, they were losing their, their uh, families, they were being separated and scattered and spread all over Asia Minor because of their faith in Jesus Christ, Peter could pick up a pen and write to them and encourage them that God knows. But also he said this, you who are struggling, you who are having the tough time, you who are struggling in your day and age, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those are the last words Peter penned that we know of. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. What am I simply saying to you? I'm making a lot of comparisons, I realize today, between this episode in Daniel's life and the lives we live today. I set before you a message that we too have to be uncompromising in our world. Our God is the same one that Daniel knew too. Everything about his character then is true of him right now. Can you trust him? Regardless, can you trust him? Remember who he is. This is the whole point. Grow in that knowledge of him. More times than not, we get afraid because we don't know who we're serving. We don't know who we're talking to. We don't have enough knowledge of him. If you trust him, then you know him. How can you trust him if you don't? He does exist. He does reveal himself. He does have answers. We carry a copy of his communication right here in our hands. We have it. Daniel wasn't like that, by the way. He didn't carry a whole Bible in his hand. He didn't have an entire New Testament. Very little of the Old Testament. But he had to ask God for revelation. We have the revelation he asked for. What a difference it makes in your life, in my life, to invest in the knowledge of our God. That's how simple I want to leave this with you. That's an investment we all must make. It makes a difference in this life and how we're going to live it and how we're going to walk through it, how we're going to be uncompromising in it when we face a world like ours. We need to know our God. We need to know his character. We need to be able to say it without hesitating, without blushing, without fear at all. This is the God I serve. Our world needs to hear it. Don't you agree with that? They do. Guess who knows him? We do. Let's know him better. Let's know him better so we can stand, if we need to someday, before somebody who might be hostile and be able to say to them, there is a God in heaven. He reveals the truth. He gives answers for the needs. That doesn't mean I have all the answers, but he does. I trust him. I trust him. I hope that may have some help for something you might be struggling with today. We do carry burdens. We have things that we work through. We say, I don't know what the answer is here. I don't know what the answer is. But you know the God who has answers, don't you? Don't you? 
I think so. We need to grow in our knowledge of him. And that's what I'm going to appeal to you today. We're going to get to this dream. I know you're saying, when? Well, guess what? Next one is another passage before we get to it. And we're almost there. But we're working our way through. Because not only does, do we need to see the character of our God, but one more glimpse of the character of Daniel. It's revealed to us in verse number 30. But I'm not talking about it today. Time's up. Heavenly Father, you set before us an opportunity here to choose to know you better, to love you better, to serve you better. All of us are in that place where we need to grow. The simple picture of what Daniel sets before us today, these words are, are so easy to read, but boy, are they challenging to our hearts and lives. Well, if we take these things to heart, it's going to take our effort to get to know you more by reading this book, praying to you more often, watching you at work in our world around us, and giving you praise for it all. And I pray, Lord, that uh, we might engage our hearts into that great opportunity we've been called to have to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May we not take that lightly but work in our hearts, too, that we might come to know you better. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us, for the fact that you do reveal to us. You've told us what we needed to know right now, that you love us. You bought us with the blood of your Son. We belong to you. May we walk out of here trusting you regardless. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.